Welcome to Growing Potatoes podcast, where we cover all things love, dating, and married life. We're your newlywed hosts, Keegan and Faith Von Atzigan. Thank you so much for joining us again. Please remember to subscribe, subscribe, comment on our page, or visit us and follow us on Growing Potatoes Instagram. You're listening to episode eight. So as you know, we usually start every single podcast with a spud moment, but to kind of go along with what we're talking about today, we want to introduce a sweet potato moment. Yes, a sweet potato moment is what it sounds like. It's a moment that's just sweet, full of sugar. Yeah, just a good experience we've had together. Um, It's kind of a spud moment. It's kind of funny, but... I wouldn't say it was embarrassing at all. Maybe for Keegan a little bit. It's a sweet spud moment. Yeah. So basically, Keegan and I, we love, you know, just finding local art, local music. We are huge patrons of um, just the local art scene in general. And so in Tulsa, we had heard about um, at the Jazz Hall of Fame on Tuesday nights, there was free jazz music. So we're like, okay, let's go. So uh, we didn't really know what to expect getting there, but it was a room filled with, um, we'll say the average age of maybe like 60. Um, And so it was just a lot of, you know, older people that, yeah, old, old jazz cats, you know, bobbing their head, drinking wine, swing dancing in the middle. Um, And you could tell that these people were like family. They're used to each other. Yeah, Yeah, came every week, had their nice little 80s print sweater on. It was just, we loved it. We were obsessed the second we walked in. And so we sat down and we're listening to jazz. And I suddenly start seeing this like older man walk towards me. And he's like looking at me with kind of like uh, squinting his eyes a little bit. (laughs) And he's like walking right towards me. And I was like... Maybe he's just coming to greet us or something. Because earlier in the night, we had a guy come over and was like, we've never seen you here before. Like, they know everyone that walks through their doors. And we're like, yeah, we just heard about the live jazz concert. We want to come see. And so um, this older, this other older man this time is walking up to me as I'm sitting. And Keegan's just kind of paying attention to the to the musicians at the front. Um, and he comes up to me and he like kind of stops and he says, I might get in trouble for this. And then he looks at Keegan and Keegan looks at him. Basically, he was acknowledging that, you know, Keegan was my significant other, could be potentially like (laughs) possessive, um, and was like, I could get in trouble for this, but you have the most beautiful complexion I've ever seen. And I was just like, oh. Thank you. It's so sweet. And this was a Caucasian old man. Um, and so I just thought it, it was super sweet. Keegan obviously did not feel any type of... I agreed of with him. <laughs> exactly. So um, it was just a really sweet moment uh, that kind of leads into what we want to talk about today, which obviously is a very touchy subject in our um, culture right now. We just kind of wanted to be vocal and open up a conversation about our thoughts, our experiences right now with being an interracial couple during a lot of um, racial tension and civil unrest. And so um, I just want to 
give a disclaimer before we do not mean to offend anyone with um what we're gonna share and if you're offended we apologize in advance so to start like faith said we are an interracial couple and both of us are mixed race yeah we are an interracial couple from interracial marriages yeah (laughs) yeah um I, my last name is kind of a unique one, it, Von Atzigen. It comes from Switzerland. My great-granddad um, came to the U.S. from Switzerland. And my great-grand, my other great-granddad came to the U.S. from China. So I've got a little bit of both of those flowing through me. Yeah, and my mother is African-American, born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri, in the inner city. Um, and my father is a first generation Mexican American and my grandparents on my father's side, the Balderramas, migrated here from Chihuahua, Mexico. Um, so I definitely grew up in two very different, but very similar cultures, um, in Southern California where I, you know, Southern California is extremely diverse next door to me were people from Korea across the street. They were from Nigeria. Uh, to the other side were um, a Mexican family, and across the street was a Caucasian family. So I just don't know anything else besides lots of racial diversity and tolerance and people just seeing people as people. <laughs> yeah, and my experience has kind of been interesting because um, my family all looks very different from each other. We all, we, we don't look like we're related at all. <laughs> um, uh, but that's just... You have a blonde-haired, blue-eyed brother. <laughs> yep, that's the wonders of the genetic, what is it, the Punnett Square. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're a living example. <laughs> um, but growing up in Texas, I was most often uh, perceived by other people as Mexican because I, I mean, there was a lot of Mexican kids in my school um brown eyed brown hair yeah brown skin (laughs) yeah and people didn't first off assume that i was white with chinese heritage they just assumed that i was like 50 percent of the other kids at the school and i was just mexican um and on all my paper like documents and everything i was marked down as white um and growing up, I sort of didn't really feel white, just the way I felt. I kind of considered myself uh, more mixed race than all my documents would say. And so uh, what I was on paper, what I felt like I was, and what other people perceived me right off the bat as were three different things growing up. And so that kind of led to me not really knowing what I was or identifying with one thing for uh, very long at at all. Um, And growing up, I learned about how America is considered like a melting pot or like a tapestry. And I started to appreciate how I was uh, a living product of, of what America was. And I was I, I kind of just started to identify as the perfect 
21st century USA kid because I, I was just, I was, I was a mix of things. Um, and I was a melting pot in my own self. Yeah. And I, I feel like Keegan's experience was very similar to mine too. I, because of being like very in the middle of being mixed, you kind of feel like other, you don't, I remember finding a journal from when I was in like the third grade that said, you know, I don't feel black enough for black people and I don't feel Mexican enough for Mexican people because I don't speak Spanish. And so I definitely felt like as a kid, I didn't identify with one race. I did kind of gravitate a little bit more towards the African-American side of me just because I looked more African-American and was identified by others more as African-American. And um, I don't know, I guess seeing my mom and being with my mom a lot more frequently than my father, um, I just identified a little bit more that way. But ultimately, I couldn't find a fit in either um, race categories um, at all. So I definitely felt like because I couldn't identify with a specific race, I was definitely just a mixed person. And on both sides of my family, all of my dad's siblings married other Mexican people and all of my mom's siblings married other black people. So at family gatherings, I was always other. I didn't look like absolutely anyone. Um, And so that kind of contributed to me just having my own identity, finding it in something else. which for, you know, as a teen, you're trying to find your identity in a lot of other things, but ultimately led to just finding my identity in Christ as an individual because um, there was no expectation besides that I belong to him. So, yeah, that was kind of, that's kind of our racial past and background. Um, and obviously, um, our racial pasts weren't always sunshine and rainbows and we accepted who we were um and we definitely I definitely experienced you know um moments where I felt like I wasn't pretty because of the color of my skin um no one specifically said you're ugly because you're mixed but just not looking like people around you and wanting to look like people around you you think something's wrong with you um and the racial encounters I'd say I had as a um, younger person was not from, you know, figures of authority or people that I necessarily saw as greater or above me. It was usually from peers, specifically, you know, young teenage boys that will just make fun of any aspect of your biology in high school and junior high um, and love doing that. And so, uh, those were things that I n- attached to my race in a certain sense, but did not own it and did not harp resist like any type of resentment in my heart towards, you know, a specific race of person um, because I honestly received that kind of feedback from multiple different races, not just one type of person. Um, and so just kind of over these past few months with all of the racial riots going on and um, kind of a huge attention on race um, and race relations in America, 
uh, you know, Keegan and I have gone to talking and um, there's just a huge calling on our heart right now to record this podcast almost in a way to speak to our future kids about what we're experiencing, what we have experienced, and just kind of what is the um, racial ideas that are going on right now and how their parents responded to it in 2020. Yeah, and so obviously we know that our kids are probably going to go through some of the same struggles that we have um, because they're going to be a mix of all different things. and Every continent. Yeah, they're going to have to figure out some things. And um, if if I was speaking to my kids from the past, I would say that, um, well, first off, now that I don't live in Texas anymore and I've kind of traveled different places wherever I go, Um, people don't always know like what I am. They, uh, people have said I look Middle Eastern. People have said I look, um, Italian. People have said I look all sorts of different things. And, um, that's just because sometimes people, um, just like to put you in a box or know what boxes you're in. Um, but I don't take offense at it. I just kind of embrace it and, to my kids, I would say that um, you're in multiple boxes and so embrace all of them and don't feel like you are you can't connect with one piece of your identity or your heritage just because you're only 3% this and don't feel like you're half the person somebody else is or um, half the black person somebody else is or half the Mexican person somebody else is because you are 100% you and you don't have to you don't have to feel like half of anybody else you get to claim it all so embrace it and let it all be part of the tapestry that is you um that's what it means to for for me and for us um as a couple to be mixed and we feel like that's starting to be what it means to be american and in the changing world Um, interracial marriages are on the rise Um, and so to any interracial couples out there we would just say like we we don't make a big deal out of our interracial marriage we um, thanks to brave couples in the past who have um, gone before us and sometimes broken the law we we get to just it it's it doesn't have to be a big deal for us and so we get to embrace the um the like I said the tapestry that we are and we get to be a hundred percent us definitely and that's kind of the beautiful side as well is that our interracial families have come together with our marriage and has been beautiful yeah it's been beautiful and you know our narrative looks very different than the narrative that is being spoken about right now and we just kind of want to shine light and say that there is unity <laughs> and that Keegan and I are a living, breathing, moving. It's not all hopeless. Yeah, it's not all hopeless. Um, and one thing I definitely wanted to just like imagine I'm speaking to my future kids and uh, make making them aware of just what we have been slightly experiencing right now is um, this idea that's called critical race theory in America and 
Um, basically how the mixed person doesn't really fit in this idea. Um, and so I just kind of want to quickly just cover what critical race theory is um, and how we are responding to it as an interracial couple uh, that doesn't really fit its mold. We didn't choose each other because of <laughs> each other's race. We chose each other because um, of each other's hearts and characters and life vision for each other and our unified vision of being together, as you've heard in our other episodes. Um, but I, um, we have realized that there's been kind of this framework to address race lately that kind of sees the world through critical race theory, which is seeing the world as divided between the oppressed and the oppressor. Um, and in this theory right now, the white person is considered or white people are considered the oppressors and um, any people of color are considered the oppressed. And so it's kind of a stream off of um, critical theory, which looks at the social class, um, social classes of people. Um, but this is the race version. Um, and so it categorizes people into two categories. You are either the oppressed or the oppressor. And so um, in this it basically says white people are racist regardless of their thoughts and feelings because um, they are participating in and benefiting from an oppressive system just because they're white. And um, basically, it puts a box around white people that says you are uh, basically racist from birth and you will always be racist no matter what you do, and the only way to kind of decline in your racism is to become woke or to um, recognize their white privilege and basically repent for the sins of their ancestors and become educated about colored people and um, basically do all you can to eliminate your whiteness and to be as anti-racist as possible and to break down the racist system. Um, and so, uh, it kind of goes on to say that white people basically don't have value and that they don't really have a seat at the table, that they, um, don't really get to speak openly about their opinions because they just don't understand and won't ever stand, won't ever understand because they are the oppressor. Um, and the only time white people in this theory are allowed to speak openly is when um, it is against racism. Um, but if they speak openly uh, against critical race theory or go against the rhetoric of the tribe, they automatically get canceled um, and are not allowed into the tribe, basically. So critical race theory doesn't just shame white people, but shames absolutely anyone that speaks against the uh, principles of critical race theory. And um, it's kind of what we're seeing right now in cancel culture. Basically, in critical race theory, no matter what you do as a white person, you will always be racist and you'll always be wrong. And uh, because you hold a position of power in society. And as a black person, you are basically uh, don't have the potential or the ability to be racist because you are the oppressor. And um, 
because of that, this has almost become like a modern gospel for today um, in the secular world, but it's kind of being adopted by the church as well. And uh, unfortunately, the reason why this critical race theory gospel doesn't line up with the gospel uh, preached by Jesus Christ is because um, in it, individuals don't matter at all. Only groups and systems and your membership to these groups and your involvement in these groups is um, what matters. And um, there is no objective truth that can be used in critical race theory. The only objective truth that is used is that that is a tool to the oppressors um, when suggesting anything contrary to um, the positions already forged for each group in critical race theory. Um, and so any statement in opposition to critical race theory is basically an example of white privilege, according to these beliefs. And um, anyone who speaks against critical race theory is a white supremacist. Honestly, no matter what your race is, they're kind of calling everyone a white supremacist now, even black people. Um, they're saying they're giving up their black cards and becoming white supremacist. Um, and so ultimately the goal of critical race theory, although it might not be claiming this, um, out loud, but it's fruit that it's bearing is to divide people is to, um, put people into different categories in the effort to maybe cause some type of understanding between them. But, um, it, doesn't really lead to understanding it leads to assumptions based on um a person's race and their position in society based on their race and so Keegan and I just kind of have been um observing critical race theory play out in our culture and um it's been very <laughs> kind of sad for us to observe because you know we are a married couple we are one with one another um, I am a African-American Mexican woman united with a Caucasian Asian man in oneness and um, he is in no way shape or form an oppressor and I am in no way shape or form oppressed by him. Um, so we're kind of, uh, our life is kind of counter critical race theory and um, our biblical beliefs which says that um, in Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile, no male or female, um, and no slave or free person. Um, and so what has been really hard for us is that we don't see this as a solution to equality because it still um, goes against what Martin Luther King's dream was, which is that people be judged by the content of and, the and their character rather than by the color of their skin. And um, that's why we're here. And our children, one of our kids could look very white. One of our kids could look very black. One of our kids could look yeah. Asian. <laughs> and that's, that's another reason why um, this kind of caught our attention is because someday when we have kids, we don't want them to have to be ashamed of one part of their heritage um and we don't want them to feel like they're forced to claim a side or pick a side in 
in um, in whatever like civil war is going on between races. Um, we we want them to be equally proud of all parts of themselves and and don't get us wrong we value justice um (laughs) so much because we care because what we're experiencing right now is martin luther king's dream is i believe jesus christ and the lord's dream that we came together not because the color of our skin but because we our hearts and our minds and um our character was drawn to one another and we decided to unify together. We did not judge each other based on that way. And because of our covenant in marriage, we will create yet another, um, another benefit of unity is that you can't really pick sides when you, (laughs) when you have all the sides in you. And, um, we just, we speak up for justice as well. Um, but we just firmly believe critical race theory is not genuinely seeking justice because justice will always lead to unity between people. Um, maybe not in the short term, but in the long term. Um, and you know, Martin Luther King was not after whiteness. He was not after white people. He was after injustice. And, um, we think justice is just what the Bible outlines, loving your neighbor as yourself, treating people equally on your day-to-day basis in and out in your thoughts um in your mind and um justice is personal but it's also um you know expands into our government and judicial system and basically when we don't see people being loved as they should be um that's when we should speak up about something but we don't combat combat that by placing that person in a box and by saying because of your color of your skin, you can only live a certain way, and that's who you are, and that's how you'll always be. Um, you know, our God says that we're redeemed. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He did not pick white people at the beginning of time and say, I'm putting racism on their DNA. He didn't look at black people and say, I'm putting victimhood on their DNA, and they will forever be victims. You know, we all have the potential to sin and we all will sin, but we all have been set free and we all have been made new and we, the foot of the cross is level. It's all the same. And, uh, I am so blessed to be raised by a family that, um, did not allow cultural norms because they did get, you know, some, uh, persecution for being an interracial couple, um, I'm so blessed Keegan and I haven't had any of that tension. Uh, And they definitely, our parents have pioneered um, interracial marriage and unity between races through their union as one. Um, And we hope to do the same for our kids, which will have every single continent besides Antarctica in their blood. (laughs) Yeah. And so in our marriage, and I think we believe in every marriage, uh, we believe that focusing on our differences has is often counterproductive and what has brought us the most together is just focusing on how much we're alike and though we were raised uh in different situations um by different people we amaze ourselves by how much we're similar and how much we agree on things and it it brings us more together to focus on that instead of the counterproductive arguments and i will say our differences also make us fall in love with each other's cultures more 
Like Keegan, <laughs> Keegan is so in love with black culture, guys. It's crazy. More like he's just a, you know, grime rapper listening. <laughs> um, like he's he's uh, definitely immersed, and I'm immersed in his culture too, because that's what a, happens when you get married. You got a good Texas accent now. I you, do. You're you're good at it now. And I, you know, I longboard. <laughs> I don't know if that's really a racial thing or a cultural thing. But <laughs> it could be seen as a white person thing. I guess, yeah. But, I mean, that's just it. There's no clear-cut lines. And we just encourage you to embrace those people around you of different cultures right now. Um, do not fall captive to this critical race theory dividing uh, thought pattern and value system. Because... Ain't Nobody got time for that. Celebrate differences and focus on similarities. Yes. And allow allow voices to the table in your life. Um, yeah. So we have to end uh, every podcast with a quote. And we just have to end it with our classic Martin Luther King quote. Um, that is just so beautiful, which says, uh, the beginning of his, I have a dream speech is I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I think we have that same dream that mm-hmm. our little children, I don't know if we're going to have four of them or not, but we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> but our little children will not be judged by what percentage of um what color they are but by who they are and yeah we're all made in the image of god y'all well thank you so much for listening um we love hearing from you please dm us in our uh on our instagram page we want to hear how this podcast related to you in some way please share it with um anyone that needs to hear it uh, we know we're trying to stay as current and relevant as possible with um, our convos. And um, please share this on your Instagram as well or your Facebook. Um, and just remember to five-star rate us, subscribe, share. We love you guys. Please send us spud moments. We still want to hear them. <laughs> we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.